0: My name is Ian Urbina. I've reported on some pretty mind-blowing stories, but nothing like what happens at sea. If they got within 800 meters, that is when we would fire warning shots. Murder, slavery, human trafficking, and staggering environmental crimes. Men have told me that they've been beaten with stingray tails, with
1: chains.
0: If you really want to understand crime, start where the law of the land ends. The Outlaw Ocean. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast.
1: The scenes coming out of Paris these last couple of weeks have been surreal. There's giant piles of garbage lining the cobblestone streets, shop windows have been smashed or boarded up, and there's still people hanging out on the terraces of cafes, but they're surrounded by burning cars and debris. The city is in a state of chaos, as hundreds of thousands have been hitting the streets and workers have been striking over the last couple of weeks after President Emmanuel Macron forced through a pension reform that increased the retirement age from 62 to 64. Tuesday was another major day of action. The strikes and protests got so big that even the Eiffel Tower was forced to shut down. Union leaders are calling for a pause on the pension reform plans, but so far, Macron hasn't given in. The French have a long history of rising up against the government to protect their way of life. And them rallying against a policy they don't like isn't all that remarkable, but the scale and makeup of these demonstrations are. More than a million people are estimated to have taken part in today's demonstrations at more than
0: 250 protests across the country.
1: This reform strikes at the heart of some core French values. Life after work, fraternity, and solidarity. All things the protesters believe are being threatened by Macron's government and its priorities. This week, legal scholar and commentator Rimsara Elouen is back on the show, and we're going to talk about why pension reform is such a touchy cultural issue in France, how these demonstrations fit into the country's rich tradition of protest, and why Macron's approach to the whole situation is not going over well. I'm Tamara Khandaker, and this is Nothing is Foreign. Rimsara, hi. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Really happy to talk to you again.
0: Hi. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So let's just jump right into it. There were at least a million people on the streets last Thursday protesting the governments raising the retirement age from 62 to 64. And these protests don't seem to be going away. A lot of these people I know are from unions. But who else is out there?
0: Well, It's actually extremely diverse. You have a huge variety of people. So you have the unions, like you mentioned, but you also have the youth. And I'm talking about high school kids here who have their own organization and their own
1: quote-unquote unions in a way. Every night for the past few weeks, 18-year-old Charles Choliac has been making his voice heard. Not just for his parents, but for himself. I am against this reform simply because I have two parents who are killing themselves at work and damaging their health, and I don't want to see them die at work. My father, he works every day. He gets up to get
0: on the tarmac at Charles de Gaulle Airport at 5 a.m. to load the planes. I find it difficult
1: to imagine myself at 64 getting up at 3 a.m. is part of
0: groups started by university students. You have retired people as well protesting because they are concerned about their children their great children futures and uh, everything in the middle you know the lower middle class some in the upper middle class as well
1: the images that we're seeing a lot of are coming out of Paris of you know trash piling up on the streets because sanitation workers have gone on strike and videos of people eating at restaurants while something is on fire behind them, which is obviously very evocative. But this is happening all over the country, right? Yes, I I would
0: actually like being from the South myself. I would like to remember our audience uh, in North America that France is far from being limited to Paris and the uh, fourth, first arrondissement uh, that uh, you guys probably visit. Uh, No, it's happening across the whole territory, in the cities, but also in the countryside. And uh, the numbers of people protesting are growing, which shows that there is a sort of... Of course, not everybody is against the reform. Don't get me wrong. There are people who are actually uh, defending uh, the new policy. But there is... A common ground, and that's what makes French strikes quite unique is when people take over the streets, it's organized it's almost you know like an orchestra, and you have you know the conductor guiding everything so if you want the French experience now is the time
1: <laughs> right. The French are famous for protesting, and it's really not remarkable for people to take to the streets when they're angry about something and I wonder. Can you help us understand that tradition of protest in France and how this sort of fits into that? Indeed, it's it's a cultural thing. I think it's also uh connected to our
0: history, you know. The reason why French people don't hesitate to go strike and protest. Uh, It's not because they like it, right? It's not because uh, like I've read many times uh, we are lazy. We are not lazy and we're not less productive than North Americans. Actually, numbers show otherwise. Uh, The French are pretty productive. Uh, But the reason why is really because, you know, uh, it touched on the French Republic's origin, the way we get rid of the monarchy. Uh, The French Revolution was not peaceful. It was bloody. It was violent. Uh, at least that's how we studied it at school. And I will mention before I forget that there is a long-going history of suspicion toward the powers from the French because of this history of monarchy, its educational philosophy as well, the tradition of unions. Uh, you, you have also to understand that unions in this country are still very powerful and contrary maybe to other countries. So they have their role to play into society. And even uh, our electoral system that is extremely flawed, that has an impact on the reason why France strikes, because they feel they are not being represented. In my opinion, it's very part of France's character to have those big social movements that cause a massive disruption. That's also why we are a functioning, dysfunctioning for some, I guess, but a dysfunctional functioning nation. Uh, We would not have our social rights that we hardly fought for, that our grandparents, our ancestors fought for if it was not for people taking over the streets. So it's also a way to remind our institution, you are here because of us. We are the boss. And at some point, if we are not heard, we are going to make you hear us.
1: I saw this described in a column that was written recently, kind of in a similar way. I think the the writer wrote that there is the spirit of irrepressible revolutionary romanticism. So just coming back to today then, France isn't unique in raising its retirement age. A lot of OECD countries have done this in recent years, and France's retirement age is actually On the lower side, compared to other European countries, like in the UK, for example, it's 66. So a lot of people from the outside looking in might be like, why are they so angry? What can you tell us about French culture and French attitudes towards work in particular that explains the tenacity of these protesters?
0: You know, there is this saying that say that life begins after work. This idea that we are not here to kill ourselves to work. We need to work towards a goal to enjoy life, to be happy. It's a goal that not everybody can achieve because there are so many parameters, including, you know, uh, social status, money, etc. But this idea that we need to have a work balance in France when people can afford it. And at least that's the goal that everybody aspire to after. You know, retirement, you start to enjoy life. You try, if you can to travel, you, time, you try to spend time with your kids, with your grandkids. And uh, when we see, for example, Americans, and that has been a cultural shock for me every time I travel to the United States, and I travel a lot there, when I see 90 years old men, women still working in supermarket because they have no choice but to. For me, it was a cultural shock. I my, my heart was broken. And uh, you will hear in France, and not just during protest, by the way, we don't want to end up like Americans. Like we need this balance between work and private life. And yes, we work, but we also have to live. And on top of that, we are a system based on fraternity, on solidarity. People work. They pay a certain amount of taxes, contribution sociale, roughly translated as social contributions. That's money taken out of your paycheck to contribute to certain things, social security, pension, unemployment, etc. So that the day you retire, the day you become unemployed, the day you're sick, this money comes back to you. So it's a circle. Then, when the person retire, for example, the young generation is going to pay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think what people are afraid of is that our very generous model is turning into this ultra neoliberal kind of dystopia, where basically people are going to work until they can't. So, from work to
1: your graveyard, and. For our North American listeners, it's probably important to note that French salaries are lower while people are working than they are over here, and taxes are higher. And that's also all kind of part of the social contract, right?
0: Absolutely. You know, uh, often I hear, but your taxes, again, I think it's cultural, your taxes are so high in France. And I'm like, the problem is not paying taxes. We don't mind paying taxes to have a return, like funding universities, public schools, uh, hospitals, the whole healthcare system, nurseries for kids. The main problem for many people is that the people who are supposed to pay their share of taxes are not doing it.
1: Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. You know, you talked about people's general suspicion when it comes to power. And this change was passed by Macron despite all of the public backlash. And it was forced through without a National Assembly vote, which seems to have infuriated people even more. What is it about the way that he handled this that has struck a nerve with the public?
0: Uh, It was a complete disaster. It is a very important law. That's a law that should have been debated again and again. It's a very unpopular legislation, massively. He used an article of the Constitution uh, for the 11th time during this one term to basically court-circuit the vote of the National Assembly, the vote of the Parliament. On top of that, it's also the way he presented things. Emmanuel Macron is known to be someone that is perceived as extremely arrogant and condescending. Look, we are putting crazy dough into minimum social benefits and people are still poor. They don't get out of it. The people are born poor and they remain poor. I think it's his way of governing Some would argue that he governs like a monarch. He doesn't care of the people. I remember vividly this example when he was attending a public event and a young man stopped him and told him that he wasn't employed, he was working really hard to find a job, but literally couldn't find anything and he's kind of desperate. Instead of showing compassion, Macron told him, and it became a meme at this point, Well, I'm sure if I cross the road, I would find your job. You cross a street there. You go to Montparnasse with all the cafes, the restaurants. Frankly, I am sure that one out of two is recruiting right now. Go for it. People have had enough of that. And passing the law by force, even though he knew very well that it would be controversial with the cherry on top of the cake.
1: So we've just laid out why French people are saying that they won't stand for this increase in the retirement age and the values that they're fighting for. But the Macron government obviously has a different perspective on this. Why does he say that this needs to happen?
0: Well, uh, the argument is made that our system is not sustainable.
1: So, yes, there aren't a 100 solutions if we want the pension system to be balanced. It no longer is. And the more we wait, the more it will get worse. And so this reform is necessary. I would have preferred not to, but it's also because of a sense of responsibility.
0: And I do agree, there are some reforms that need to be made, some economists actually argue that there are other ways to reform the system. And actually, the deficit is not even that big just yet. I think it's really striking a nerve as in you're not listening to people who have another opinion. And uh, he also declared that he was elected on this agenda, precisely the pension reform, which is completely ludicrous because he knows very well that he was not elected for this reason, but because he had Marine Le Pen, uh, the former far-right leader in front of him. But her political opponents call her a dangerous right-wing extremist. And certainly there are those on the streets of Paris who agree. Right outside this polling station there's a picture of Marine Le Pen and as you can see she's not very popular here in Paris. This one's been graffitied on top of it calls her a fascist 3
1: hours south of Paris. There have been like you mentioned other ideas floated by experts for how the government can address this future deficit in the retirement fund like reconsidering corporate tax breaks or taxing the wealthy but it seems like that's not really even part of the conversation right now
0: no and that's very interesting and the tax break actually uh, was a very important point of uh, the discussion and many argued if we need that money then why did you give such a massive tax break to certain companies right or why didn't you consider to bring back the tax on the wealthy the wealth tax
1: Right. And for context, this is one of the most controversial things he's done. In 2018, he scrapped France's wealth tax, which was something that had kept a lot of really rich people out of France. And it was seen as kind of a symbol of social justice. And right now he's being criticized a lot for being out of touch with the public. But that's not really new. For years now, he's been described as the president of the rich.
0: You know what is... The most common meme on French social media since Macron is elected. And not just this term, also the previous one the startup nation. I want France to be a startup nation, meaning both a nation that works with and for the startups, but also a nation that thinks
1: and moves like a startup.
0: He has always been using this metaphor as governing the country like a startup, which speaks volume about his way of governing. We are witnessing a change in our model where we are dismantling our public services. We are turning into like such a model we try to avoid. Privatization of many services, etc.
1: So just a bit about his background, Macron has talked about how he has working class roots, but his parents are doctors. He grew up going to private school. He spent time working as an investment banker. He was the finance minister for a while. When he ran for office in 2017, it was kind of unclear on the surface what he was all about, but he won with support from both sides of the political spectrum. So how exactly did he pull that off? How did he appeal to people?
0: It's very interesting because he tried to sell the image. He actually reminded me of Kennedy in terms of like the show that he put on, which I think is brilliant, right? Um, To show himself as a young man at that time when he was elected the first time. I think he was among the younger leader in the world.
1: Yeah, he was like thirty-nine. He was still Economy Minister, the youngest in the history of the Fifth Republic.
0: Before that, he was Francois Hollande's economic aide. Having shown his pro-business credentials in office, he appealed to the left with promises to cut housing tax, expand state health care cover, and invest in training programs for the unemployed. Uh, This idea that, you know, he's connected to everyone, he used social media, and uh, one of his most brilliant moves was to divide and conquer. So he broke the right-wing party, he broke the left-wing party, and he created his own. Compared to others, and the bar is quite low, uh, he didn't go into some typical anti-Muslim tropes, racist tropes, etc., at least not at the same level as others. So I think people were ready to give him a chance. But in the end, when you look at the policies, when you look, you know, at his resume, if I may say, he's a neoliberal right-wing conservative that has a very specific agenda, which is the implementation of a certain vision of capitalism that basically will divide social classes in two groups, the very rich and the very poor. This, I mean, under his term, under his presidency, it is in the open now. They're not trying to do it like under the carpet. And the more visible it is, the more problematic it becomes, especially when it touches certain social rights that we deem kind of sacred.
1: What we're seeing happening right now feels like the battle between two different visions for France, one that's being imposed by the government, and then there's the vision that the protesters are fighting for. And I'm wondering, from where you're standing, which version do you think is going to win out in the end?
0: I think we shall not forget that most of the time, history uh, was on the side of the people, Even if it's like challenging and sometimes it's not done peacefully, and uh, we have a dark history when it comes to that, I think it's also a way to remember governments and parliaments that they work for the people. That's the point of democracy, demos kratos, running by the people for the people, right? And Some of our representatives, and again, across the political spectrum, tend to forget that. And those who will make sure that they listen to the people are the ones who are going to emerge victorious. Now, there is indeed a chance for the left to maybe come out of it and maybe find uh, their ways to power. But again, there are a lot of challenges and the need to address them. So I cannot tell you who is going to win. But what I can tell you is that we should not have been in this situation in the first place.
1: Ramsara, thank you so much for this conversation. Really, really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Of course. Thank you for having me. On Wednesday, sanitation workers in Paris announced that they were ending their strike three weeks after walking off the job. This came a day after around 740,000 people joined over 200 rallies across the country and were met with a ramped up police response.
0: French authorities responding with what they're calling an unprecedented show of force. 13,000 police officers deployed across the nation. The chaos stretching far beyond the capital. Police are fighting, running battles with protesters in the streets. Things are being thrown. This is some guy here just been arrested. In Nantes, protesters scuffling with riot police, engulfed in clouds of tear gas. Massive crowds
1: stretching across highways. Human rights groups have accused police of using heavy-handed tactics, including arbitrary arrests and excessive use of force against peaceful protesters and reporters, and they've been calling for an independent investigation. More large protests are expected in the coming weeks. In an effort to keep up the pressure on the government, unions are calling for new strikes and marches on April 6th. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyita Shangupta, and our sound designer is Yvette Sin. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick mckay Blocos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. And before I let you go, if you liked this episode, please take a second to rate and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps new listeners find the show. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kendacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you back here next week. For more CBC podcasts, go to cBC.ca/podcasts.